what many people do is at the moment they see a challenge, they immediately start jumping for a solution. Hmm. And for me, this is the obvious way, and it's not necessarily the right way. And what we like to do is um, you study the challenge or problem at hand, why it's happening. And then you start thinking about impact. What impact do you want to achieve once this problem is or challenge is solved? Um, what would be the impact if it is not solved? And once you've determined what is your desired impact, then going from the challenge to the you know, desired impact, it's a simple road mapping exercise in a certain way. Mm. And this way you also come to the optimal solution because otherwise you come up with just a solution, which may, and typically these solutions are short term. Welcome to the World Class Leaders Show. This is the one and only podcast for ambitious and high achievers, professionals who want to become world-class leaders. In this podcast, we deconstruct the success of high-performance leaders, share their stories, and teach the most effective strategies to move from average to greatness. This is your host, Andrea Petroni, a high-performance and leadership advisor, executive coach, and keynote speaker with more than 20 years of international and executive corporate experience. Welcome everyone to a new episode of the World Class Leader Show. Uh, today I'm very um, happy to have with me Professor Dr. Abdul Samad Kazi, and we can call him Sami, right, Sami? Yes, of course. Sami is the research team leader for Smart Cities and Intelligent Buildings at VTT, Technical Research Center of Finland Limited, a joint professor of project management at the Anken School of Economics, and a distinguished adjunct professor at the Asian Institute of Technology. He has been involved in more than 50 international research and development projects, each project having a budget ranging from 500,000 to 25 million euros on strategic road mapping and implementation action planning, smart cities, construction IT, virtual organizations, ICT for energy efficiency, nature-based solution, and knowledge management. Sami is also the author and co-author of more than 100 peer-reviewed publications, including more than 10 books in the areas of smart cities, knowledge management, systemic innovation, service innovation, ICT for construction projects and processes, energy efficient buildings and open building manufacturing. Uh, Sami is keen identifying the business opportunity that may emerge from technology development. Is also a group facilitator for strategic road mapping and implementation action planning. They are a strong passion. Uh, Sami has also vast experience as mentor and coach, both within VTT and external to VTT on the matters of team management, positivity, academic excellence and project management. Sami, welcome to the show today. Thank you very much, Andrea. Proud to be here. Awesome. So the topic of today is how foster innovation within your team. Uh, but before stepping into the topic, Sami, would you mind to explain a little bit more to the audience who you are and why you do what you do right now? I'm originally from Pakistan. So some people don't know this. Um, that's where my roots are. Um, but I left when I was about four. 
So I moved with my parents to Bangkok, Thailand, where my father was teaching at the Asian Institute of Technology. This is also right. where I did my master's and PhD from later. And um, so that's where I had my kindergarten. Then we moved to Saudi Arabia, where I had my schooling. My father was working with the UN and um, then with the university over there. And then he was an advisor to um, the minister on, um, I think it was um, mineral resources and something like that. I don't remember the exact name, unfortunately. Yeah, okay. And then I went to do my undergraduate studies at the Middle East Technical University in Ankara, Turkey. Then wow. I had a stint, you know, and, and that, that was when I said, okay, I'm not ever going to study again. Study is too hard and difficult. <laughs> but then I worked with industry for about a year in Pakistan. And I realized that one of the main things which was missing in my life was learning. Because um, I must say that, you know, um, I'm addicted to learning. And then I went um, to the Asian Institute of Technology for my master's, um, was on the PhD. Then I landed at VTT somehow. And, you know, my previously I said, oh, OK, I'm just going to be a professor like my father and I wanted to teach. But coming to a place like VTT, I just realized the power of research mm. and, you know, how great it is and how you can actually make a fundamental difference to society. So I've been at VTT proudly for 22 years. Yes, I did finish my PhD in between. <laughs> and um, one thing, you know, I'd like to say a lot is that um, after being at VTT, not a single day passes when I don't learn something new. Right. So my quest for continuous learning is always over there. And then, of course, when you work in an applied research organization, then you are able to actually um, not just work on theory, but to apply results into industry and see their impacts on society as a whole. Um, yeah. So I think maybe in a, in a nutshell, you know, that's my journey. Um, I think perhaps I forgot to mention, but um, my bachelor's degree has been in civil engineering. Mm -hmm. uh, my master's in um, construction engineering and management. And I would say my PhD is more on construction project management. So right. these have been my background and skills, but um, then again, you know, with this continuous quest of learning, I have been applying these skills in multiple domains. Uh, Sami, uh, yes, it, it's amazing what you're doing. And I love what you say in terms of, you know, researching and learning every single day, but also the ability to apply then what you, what you, what you learn and the outcome of your research into the day work and the day life of people. And, you know, I know you're working a lot uh, primarily in the, in the smart city. So in that, and that is super important for innovation in the energy industry, but also in the travel industry, et cetera. I would like to understand a bit more about the, the impact of innovation on people and organization. Because, I mean, innovation is it's not just important. It's really critical for, uh, for the society, but as well as for winning businesses, really. Be able to, to be on front of what's going on in the, in, in the world. And uh, I, you know, I hear many CEOs and leaders, they keep saying, you know, we need to be more innovative. We need to foster innovation. But sometimes for a reason or for another, they stack into the day by day, they're stuck into their uh, traditional way to do business. So it sounds, in other words, much more complicated than sometimes we think uh, actually building innovation organizations. So what is your formula for innovation? First of all, what is innovation for you? And what is the formula to make it work? Um, there are several um, elements to it. Um, one thing, you know, I would like to start off with perhaps is um, what my organization does. 
And mm -hmm. we like to say VTT beyond the obvious. And, you know, um, think beyond what is possible or what is really happening. And with just that element in mind, you are able to think much more further. Mm. I think one of the other things um, which I've learned over the years and we do a lot in my organization is that um, the moment you see a challenge, we try to not be engineers. Because again, you know, uh, people talk about innovations coming from engineers and what many people do is at the moment they see a challenge, they immediately start jumping for a solution. Mm. And for me, this is the obvious way and it's not necessarily the right way. And what we like to do is um, you study the challenge or problem at hand, why it's happening. And then you start thinking about impact. What impact do you want to achieve? once this problem is or challenge is solved um, what would be the impact if it is not solved and once you've determined what is your desired impact then going from the challenge to the you know desired impact it's a simple road mapping exercise in a certain way mm. and this way you also come to the optimal solution because otherwise you come up with just a solution which may, and typically these solutions are short-term. I would also like to add another element that um, many people, they end up confusing between um, an invention and an innovation. Right. So the moment, um, you know, um, you are able to translate an invention into practice, be it like a prototype or a test or validate it properly, for me, that's when the innovation journey starts. And yeah. um, once, um, you know, it's out there, it suddenly becomes a habit. So we don't just stop at innovation. The innovation needs to roll out and, you know, get into a habit. It's just like second nature to us. Yeah, it sounds much easier, right, uh, from your Natu words, but I, I understand it, your point. But to be honest, it is naturally um, a very, very complex process. Mm. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, it's very easy for anybody to say, I'm an innovative person. I have this innovation or something. And sometimes it's not even an invention. So, you know, it may be an idea. So you go from idea to invention to innovation and then to habit. And you will, I mean, if you just look up, you know, any scientific source or any search engine, you will find, um, I don't know, thousands of definitions of innovation mm. people see innovation from their own perspective but i like to say that um, we need to have a passion for innovation this is one of the core values also um, of the organization um, i work at vtt because if you don't have the passion for innovation then you don't really have that passion for change and we know today that um the single constant we have is actually change. Exactly, exactly. So a brilliant point. Just to recap, so Sami, so essentially what you said is first, um, start, start from the outcome, start from really the impact that you really want to make. And then essentially it's reverse, not engineering because you say it's not really yeah. engineering, but reversing the process in order then to get the right innovative ideas. And the second element is as well, innovation is not an invention. We have to... It's such a such a solid point, you know. We have to make sure that we are not confusing the two terms because they are two different things. 
And that's very applicable, of course, for not only for the startup world, right? But for also for those organizations that want to, to be innovative, but at the same time, they are thinking, yeah, but we need to come up with a disruptive idea, but disruption is not necessarily innovation, right? Yeah. And, and that's, that's super important. Actually, I heard someone in the past, Sami, uh, that was a client of mine. I remember when he said, for me, innovation is not a new product or a new service. For me, innovation, for example, in my organization is the ability to execute. Boom. For me, that was such an important point because any organization, as you say, have a different meaning for innovation. Innovation means something different, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's great. And you introduced the element of passion. And I agree, you have to have that passion. But that actually lead me to another question for you, Sami, is what are the right skills that we need to have in place in order to build an innovative mindset in our people? I think um, the key word over there, if you ask me, is curiosity. Mm. Yeah, um, you need to have this curiosity. And um, I work in a research organization and you know, having curiosity is at our core. Mm. And the moment you are curious about something, that is when you dig into details. You discover some of the reasons behind certain challenges. Um, and then you come up with, um, you know, what could be the impacts. And then naturally you come up, you know, with those right solutions or everything. But at the same time, um, you know, it's not enough just to be curious. Because um, to drive innovation and everything, you cannot be alone. Mm -hmm. It has to be something which you do with people. So it, it and it, it should not just be limited to a core group or let's say people in your team it not only has to span your organization but primarily it has to span even stakeholders for example your customers your partners their customers their partners yes and that is where we get into co-creation i think the moment you start co-creating co-thinking brainstorming you name it that is when um certain magic in my opinion starts to happen yeah, um, such a great point, actually. And curiosity for me um, is, is the skill of the future. I mean, it's been always the, the, you know, the, the, the most important skill in my mind in leadership, honestly. But especially for the future where we don't really know where we are going, you know, for the level of uncertainty. There is a lot of the conversation right now, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the, the future of work, right? So what, has, what are going to be the, the skills for the future in 2030? There's been a lot of conversation around 2030 skills. And for me, it's, it's, it's impossible to say because, you know, the, 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 the pace of change is so high, so fast right now that we, we can't predict what kind of skills we need in the future. But if you are driven by the very high level of curiosity, you're going to find an answer. You're going to find a solution at some point. So I'm not overly concerned. Do you agree on that? Um, I have some reservations on that, to be honest. Yes, okay. of course, I agree that, you know, those skills should happen. And um, I'd like to take the analogy, let's say, um, of a growing child. Mm -hmm. As we realize, you know, the moment a child, you know, starts to, you know, um, walk around or take baby steps and everything, you realize they're curious. Right. They start touching, feeling they are starting to experiment with things. And then sometimes, I mean, not in all countries, of course, but in some countries, um, you realize that then they get into education. Mm 
And education is that sometimes when you finish your education process that I already know everything. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, you know, the curiosity is done. And I will just do what I have learned to do. So somehow we need to reinvigorate this curiosity. Right. To be able to ask questions, not just know the answers. I think um, today the biggest skill you can teach people, um, in addition, of course, to problem solving, is how to be curious, how to ask questions. And no question is bad. Every question is right. Because the moment you are able to ask the right questions, at some point you will actually um, lead to something meaningful. Yeah, so true. So true. Asking the right question. And, uh, and that's also a way to start developing critical thinking, strategic thinking, you know, so that's, yeah. that's, that's so important. So but how can we do that, Sami? So, you know, we both work with teams and with people. And how can we foster that? How can we nurture, you know, curiosity as well as other important skills for bringing innovation organization? Um, I mean, let me just give you um, a very simple example. I use this a lot um, whenever I talk to people these days is that, you know, um, it's very easy. Many people, they will say, here is a vision or here is a strategy or here is a statement. Yes. And, you know, I like, yeah, this looks nice, but it doesn't um, invoke thinking or curiosity. Mm -hmm. However, if in front of that statement, you were simply to add two words, what if Mm. nothing more what if this would happen what if this did not happen what if we could do this just using those two words in the beginning it provokes some form of thinking it provokes some form of engagement so as such you're not giving people um if i take you know a phone that here is a device with which you can talk to anybody Right. Sounds nice. But on the other hand, if I say that, what if there was a device with which you could talk to anybody? (laughs) Immediately, it provokes thinking and people start, you know, getting questions in their mind. Yes. And it helps um, them. Actually, they will ask you questions back. So does this mean this? Does this mean this? Does this mean that? So it helps you clarify your thought process. It also gives new ideas, which you may not have had originally. And then, you know, um, because now you're creating this trust and this co-creation, then you start doing so many more things together. Yes. And I think um, the problem we have in many instances um, is that um, people think, everybody thinks, you know, we're super knowledgeable, we know everything, that we end up telling people instead of actually asking people. So true. Because it's only when you ask, do you, do you invigorate their mind to think a bit more? Of course, you know, if you tell them a brilliant idea, that may start some thinking already, but how to provoke or instigate whatever word you'd like to use, that thinking. For me, that is always the game changer. And it is for, for me too. I mean, the, the, the what if, what if is such an amazing way to start any question first. And I think it's, it's, it's also important for challenging the status quo, right? Because the what if really, that's what it does, right? So it's challenging 
assumptions and you normally work with assumptions, either, you know, based on fact or based on instincts or whatever is the source of that. I love the co-creation element, by the way, because the co-creation, I think, is so important, by the way, in the organization world, because too many organizations, they are, they are essentially just check internally what they think is needed in the market, what they think the client need at the time, but they don't really involve the market itself. So yeah. essentially it's the client and building the element of co-creating their solution, their ideas with the client for me is a such an incredible and powerful strategy to bring innovation, but sometimes they don't, they think they know what the market wants. I definitely agree on that as let's say academicians, consultants, researchers, whatever you name it. Um, we try to make these assumptions without understanding, um, do I dare say ground realities. Mm. But then at the same time, um, for many industries, let's say the pace of change um, is not necessarily very fast, or mm. it can be extremely fast, you really never know. Um, and depending on the organization or company, um, they are looking at the next quarter, maybe one year, maybe two years, um, where they want to see growth. Yes. So um, in our case, when we work with organizations, we don't see them as necessarily our customers or clients. We like to see them as our partners, mm -hmm. discussing plans, strategies, um, working together, co-creating. And then, you know, have something like um, even a 10, 15 year plan in place. But then to ensure that at these critical moments, be they a quarter, one year or two years, there are these milestones or showstoppers that there is something tangible which is happening. So whatever that organization is going to do or needs to do, it should still be in line with what, let's say, these long term goals are. Mm. And then, you know, we are able to have these short, medium, long term, whatever actions you may call. Yes, yes, agreed. Yes, that, that, that's, the, that's the way to do it. That's absolutely the way to do it. Um, okay, cool. So let's talk about a little, little bit more about the role of the leader and the, or the team leader, uh, you know, because you mentioned just, you know, a few minutes ago, you said, you know, it's important to ask more questions rather than be directive and tell people what to do and what to say and et cetera. And I agree. I think some leaders, what they do, they are more, uh, convergent in their styles essentially what he's saying is hey i think that is the right thing for you guys let's what, what you think about that and then by anyway let's do it so they're trying to involve people in that strategic thinking process but in reality they they think they know already the answer so they're essentially driving the team to work already on something that is in their mind and if i may you know just jump in over here for me these are not really leaders they're exactly. more like managers because as a manager, it's all about um, control. Yes. Whereas, you know, as a leader, um, you inspire people. You know, you may just give them um, some crazy thought and say, I don't know how to get there. Right? I mean, exactly. you guys, you're the experts. Please um, tell me how we can get there. Exactly. Exactly right. That, that's was, that was my point. So they, they think they have the answer, but they're not really involving their team to develop new ideas. So I, I used to say something like this, you know, the great leader is not a director anymore. He's essentially is a facilitator. Oh, definitely. Part of the curiosity. So 
based on what you you know what you said, Sam, in your work, from a very practical standpoint, how can we? I mean, you you mentioned asking the right question, but is there any kind of a framework or process or steps that normally you implement or you have in mind that can work as well with the people in the audience? I try to explore, you know, what let's say team members would be passionate about. Mm -hmm. You know, something which is close to heart. Mm -hmm. um, and then we pick that up and start working around that. Okay. Because then is that, you know, how do you bring that passion into your work and how can your work support realizing that passion or that challenge or need? So as an example, if um, you have a team which has um, an avid number of people who like to bicycle, right? Okay, let's talk about the future of mobility because that is something which is going to excite them. Mm. Would there be any specific applications could we use? Can we redesign the future of bicycles or something like that? So again, it has to be, you know, something which is different something which they're passionate about. And of course, in many situations, sometimes you just need to be provocative to take people out of their comfort zone. Yes. And then I have something which um, I use, you know, in work life, personal life, you name it. I like to call it uh, my favorite black box. Tell me more. So what I would do is that, you know, I will take an A4 piece of paper, draw a nice big black box around it. And, um, what I then do is that whatever ideas or challenges or whatever we have, I would write that inside that black box. So that is day one. At the end of the day, I will crumple that and just throw it to the side, not in the bin, but to the side. Mm -hmm. And then spend, you know, um, one night um, thinking, reflecting about things, because that is now gone. It's out of the system and thinking about other things which could go in their place. And I will write them down on a separate piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Call it a white box, so it's open ideas, you know, no circles or something. And then on the next day, I will put both together. Okay. And draw yet something else, because then there are many things I can take out of what I had placed in this black box. And there are many new things which I can bring in, even see certain interconnectivities. And just by doing this physical exercise of crumpling that paper and putting it to the side. I mean, I know it's a waste of, let's say, one piece of paper, but <laughs> um, just doing that physical exercise, it somehow departs your mind from the original thinking. 100%. And suddenly you get, you know, um, something new. You always, always need to get out of that mindset or comfort zone or you know whatever um, we call it i love it it is for me super simple but very effective really exercise essentially the black box is what you already know and maybe it's a combination of the past experience or the past learning yeah. and what you know right now in the present day but then the white box the day after is more like okay you know let's forget about that you know, let, 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 let's start from, from a piece of paper, which is completely blank. Let's start writing the news history, right? And then yeah. combining, you know, what we can take from the black blocks, right? And it's funny because even myself, when I'm working a strategic thinking uh, workshop in, in, in process with teams, 
what I normally do. I actually use that night, as you probably mentioned, to help people to digest what they thought in the first place and what else can be uh, thought the day after. Normally it works very well. That night normally is a, is a game changer for people because they come back the day after and say, you know what I thought about actually last yeah. night. And that's good because I think that's how the brain works. Um, one thing else, you know, I use, and I usually use this as a basis for developing roadmaps or further, let's say, exercises is to, um, you know, you have a group of, let's say, five, 10, whatever people. And I, I like to call these uh, my four critical questions with a group of seven, eight, 10 people, whatever. First question is, um, what do you like about today? And everybody has to give a unique answer. I think this is the most important part. And then, you know, you let people have two, three votes and you vote it down. Mm -hmm. And through this mechanism of these top 10, you're perhaps able to identify those four or five must-haves from today. Others, I mean, you know, you may just need to drop out, for example. Similarly, what do you not like about today? Yes. And again, we vote down the top, which we must get rid of. I mean, the other ones, of course, we should if we can but now we have the must-haves and the must-not-haves mm -hmm. and then we start looking into the future what do we want to create or enable in the future this cannot be something which we already have or something which we need to improve on what is the new which we want again 10 unique answers we vote them down get the top points from them right and then my favorite question is um what do we not want to have to happen tomorrow Yes. Right. Because that is then thinking about what could go wrong in the future. I don't want that to happen. And you identify those top ones. So through this mechanism, you've immediately identified the top three or four from today's situation, which you must keep. The top three or four, which you must get rid of. And then the top three or four for the future, which you must enable. And then certain things, you know, which you just disable which you do not want to happen. Yeah, I love that. I think it's, it's such a such a great methodology and, uh, and it's very, very helpful, I think. Um, I have a last question on this, uh, sure. Sami, because that is uh, bring us back to, to, to the, you know, to the day to day, to the situation that we are facing right now where people, they are um, overstressed, honestly, you know, they are facing burnout. Uh, and the workload has increased. Unfortunately, the working from home uh, doesn't didn't really help actually on managing better the workload. Actually, has increased. That is a fact now. One of the things I've noticed so many times is people they are approaching their strategic thinking process and be more innovative, but they they say to me, Andrea, I would love to go back and be more visionary. You know, thinking more in the future, the strategy. But I'm so much stressed and concerned about what's going on right now because I have some uh, results to achieve or some pressure from the top. And that is honestly is a problem because when you are stressed, it's very difficult to be strategic in your mind because it's, you know, you're too much task oriented, focused on, on, on the present day rather than in the future. Uh, I don't know. Do, what, what's your view on this? How can we develop the innovate, innovative and strategic mindset when people are too, too stressed you know, at work? I think there are a couple of elements over there. Um, I strongly believe that, you know, if you talk about um, 
being visionary or strategic. It is not something you can do alone. Mm -hmm. And this needs to be done together with people. And of course, you know, when it's face to face, um, even though people say, well, I can see a, you know, a video or whatever, it's not the same. Because when you're face to face, there are many things, um, even informal, which pop up, um, how our body language is. Yes. So, you know, you, you connect with people and you can do so, so much more, even if we talk about um, being hybrid and everything. So I think this is what is creating actually a lot of stress for people. Mm -hmm. um, now there are more back-to-back -back meetings online, which is uh, not usually fun. Um, yes. But my perspective has been for quite a while is that um, how do you wind down? So, you know, how do you release this stress? And one of the mechanisms which um, has helped me a lot personally is that um, after and before a stressful meeting or something, I will always take, um, let's say, at least one and a half minutes to close my eyes and try to imagine something nice which has happened mm -hmm. or which I look forward to, to change my mindset. Because again, it's an emotion and an emotion typically lasts no more than 90 seconds. And um, But if you reinforce that negative emotion, then that stress or other things continue. Yes. Another thing which many people do, and now I've learned to avoid, even though you know I live in Finland, um, I consume God knows how many kilos of coffee a year, <laughs> um, but, you know, people have this tendency that the moment you jump into the next meeting, you try to grab a coffee, mm. right? Mm. Um, it's going to keep me awake. And if you're stressed, having more caffeine is not going to reduce your stress. It's just going to push it forward. Yes. Right. And so even though if I may need something, I mean, yes, water is nice, but if you need something warm, just get, grab yourself a warm glass of water. I'm not talking about tea or anything like that. Yes, you can do that if you prefer, but take things in slowly. Take time to understand your own physical being, because if we say we're too stressed, then um, is it mental stress? Is it physical stress? We need time to um, look after our well-being. And again, I'd like to you know, uh, mention my organization over here. They have been doing a phenomenal job in trying to ensure everybody's well-being. And we have implemented, you know, a couple of very simple experiments and that's helping. So for example, um, everybody in their calendar, we have automatically booked something we call the offline hour. I mean, usually- I love it. For and it, you know, some people don't have time for it or something, you know, but essentially nobody internally will be then booking a meeting over there. Your calendar is booked, right? I mean, how do you create that? Um, we've also had another mechanism whereby, um, you know, the moment you book an hour long meeting, by default, it goes to 45 minutes. Mm. Right. So, I mean, if you can do it in one hour, if you're creative, yes, you can do it, you know, in a shorter period of time. Then oh. there are other people. Um, I sometimes do that a lot myself, is that if I know a meeting can finish in 45 minutes, I may actually end up booking like uh, one hour, 15 minutes or one and a half hours. Um, and, you know, then when the meeting finishes in 45 minutes, it's like giving a gift back to people. You have 45 minutes extra in your life. Yes, yes. Uh, is... You know, if you look at my calendar, I mean, many people in the office have said, oh, Sammy, 
I've noticed I'm following that. So, you know, in the mornings, um, I have my first half an hour. It's a book time for me. Mm -hmm. It's totally booked. And I call it rise and shine. Uh -huh. So the first, you know, reminder I get in the day, every morning is rise and shine. And um, the first thing, I, I mean, of course, you know, many things are open. And what I have done is that my meal program, even though I, I have to open it, you know, it's a bad habit. Um, I will put it into offline mode for that half an hour, because that is my reflection time on how to plan and tune in my day. And by default, every day, I also have another calendar entry. This is my booked half an hour, which I call wind down and chill. Nice. And immediately my meal program goes offline. And um, in my team, we have, um, I proudly say this, we have a fantastic mechanism implemented that um, no emails after 12 o'clock afternoon on Fridays uh -huh. and no emails be before 12 o'clock afternoon on Mondays. Wow. Because otherwise what's happening is you're just throwing things back and forth at each other. It doesn't mean things will necessarily get done. You're increasing people's stress. And when people are stressed, they don't perform at the right levels. So sometimes, you know, these um, micro interventions, if I dare use that word, they can make a huge difference. Well, that, that's powerful. I mean, I'm so glad actually that you brought this up because there are, I'm sure so many people in the audience today, they are listening and they've, they've been thinking, what shall I do to be more creative, to be more strategic? And you gave such a very practical recommendation. My, first of all, I'm a big fan of blocking a time in your calendar so no one has access. That's only for you and be consistent because this is your best time to be really uh, strategic in your day, in your work. For example, what I do, I block my time the, the, um, the day before. So in the 6 p.m., 5, 6, 6 p.m. normally is my time for planning my day after, you know, the next day. And that for me is good because then I can start the day after and I've already clarity what I have to do. Yep. But I think the, the major takeaway of what you said, and I agree with that, essentially setting boundaries for yourself. That's what you have to do. You have to set boundaries so no one is going to touch, you know, or protect. You need to protect your time because yeah. that's, for you, is the, is the, the best way to, to, to fight stress. And because otherwise, if you get into the stress mode, you're going to get, unfortunately, a negative ripple effect on whatever activity that you do. Exactly. Right? And I think you also need to um, set clear priorities. I mean, um, yes. if, if it's a meeting, you can ask yourself the question, do I really need to be there? Is there something tangible I will contribute? How important is my presence? I mean, there was a time, and I hate to say this, I'm embarrassed, but it's a lesson I've learned. I mean, there was a time when I was attending, you know, in parallel, something like four meetings. Wow. On different platforms, you know, so you have Microsoft Teams, you have Google Hangouts, and you have Zoom, and then another Teams meeting. And I would have, you know, uh, my sound controls open, so playing around with where I'm getting more sound, where I'm getting less sound. that And it was me, I'm present, you know, but I was not present. Of course not. Right? So, I, and I think the, if somebody really is inviting you somewhere and, and you're going to say, yes, I will be there, you need to demonstrate 100% presence. Yeah, there, there is a, a caveat though, but sometimes people, they're forced to be part of a meeting 
from the top, from their bosses, uh, even if they maybe they are not needed there, but because the boss asked, they, they can't say no for, let's say for compliance reason, but that's another thing. I'm not saying that is right. Yeah, but you know, we're lucky because um, that doesn't happen in my organization. There you go. So yeah, it, because the culture, exactly, yeah. exactly. It, it's a cultural thing rather than, than, than anything else. Sammy, awesome. I would like to, I mean, we, I think we can talk for two or three hours without stopping because <laughs> such an yeah. amazing topic and we are so well tuned in. But we, need, we are approaching the end of this podcast. I would like to ask you the four final um, uh, question, if you don't mind. Sure. So the number one is, uh, what has been uh, the number one lesson that you're learning through you know, your career? Uh, for me, it is about love. I like to say love. Uh -huh. And let me elaborate, you know, a bit on that, because uh, many people say, what the hell is Sammy talking about? So <laughs> if I talk about love, I mean, I break this down into letters. So for me, the L is all about learning and listening. It uh -huh. is extremely important. The O is for observing the surroundings and orchestrating change or helping organizations to orchestrate change. Right. The V is for valorizing. That's creating value and then validating it. Uh-huh. And last but not least, we have the E, which is that then you start to execute, you empower, and most importantly, you need to empathize in case, you know, things just don't go to plan. So I call that, you know, number one lesson is love. So, of course, you love what you do and you love your passion and work, but this is my mode for execution. You learn, you listen, you observe, you orchestrate change, you valorize and validate, and then execute, empower, and then empathize. It's it's lovely, it's <laughs> lovely. We're gonna we're gonna use it for sure as a quote because yeah yeah that, sure go ahead. Awesome. Next question is more about what uh, is maybe one thing that you have you would have done maybe differently in your career. Um, to be honest, nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought about that quite a while, and um, nothing. And there's a reason for it because I think. Um, of course, you know, we say that, oh, I made a mistake. Yes, I've made many mistakes in my life. Um, everybody has. But if those failures or mistakes didn't happen, you wouldn't learn. You wouldn't become more knowledgeable or wiser. So mm -hmm. for me, I think that has been a key learning that um, nothing beats experience, let's say. And uh, yes. I wouldn't change anything. And believe it or not, um, in my organization, you know, um, we even have an annual thing called Gala of Failures where actually people um, come up, they stand, and they proudly, shamelessly um, share failures. Because Love it is it. only when we share and reflect on our own failures or even learn about others' failures that we actually learn something new and how to move forward. And uh, it's funny because I had a client that uh, the CEO decided to start something very similar in a bar, drinking together and sharing the worst thing that they did terms of failure just to 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 be more open with each other and i love sure. that i think it's a great initiative um okay let's talk about performance so remember when you had your best performance ever as an individual do you remember what was in place at the time to allow you to get to the level of results um i think it was um the atmosphere you know which um, we have at vht the organization or company let's say which i work with and um having all of our core values in place for me. So, of course, one um, primarily being the ability to co-create with stakeholders. 
So these were the um, people we were consulting, um, having this inbuilt passion for innovation, um, being able to go beyond the obvious, because again, this is where um, this co-creation, reflection, provocation, everything comes up. And again, I think um, most importantly, it was empathy and collegiality mm. because we had so much support and trust for everybody over there. Because only when you are able to have that support and trust can people actually open up. Because it is only when the shell is open that you realize all the value inside. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. So it's the environment, essentially, is the yes. main thing. Is the main thing. And of course, um, you know, um, having it, it's not just having the so-called passion for innovation or co-creation and everything else, but actually having um, the trust by the people around you and your organization, which says, yes, go ahead. It yeah. is okay to make mistakes as long as, you know, you're responsible and accountable. Totally. Totally. Is that support? Support? Yes. In, uh, in place. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. Final question. So given as well, you know, your education, your story, you know, your addiction to learning, I'm so, so curious to know what has been one book that has had the most, you know, impact on, on your, on your life, on your career. That is a very difficult one, to I be bet. honest. <laughs> I, you know, go through many, but there have been some um, which have transformed the way I think, at least. Um, there was this book by um, Donella Meadows um, on systems thinking. Mm -hmm. um, of course, many people have read, let's say, John Sturman's book on business dynamics, or then the godfather of systems thinking, you know, Jay Forrester. But um, I, in particular, like Donella Meadows' book. Because um, with systems thinking, you see things at a systemic level, and it also provides answers to why certain th things are happening and how they're happening. Yes. I must also, you know, give a shout to Stephen Covey for his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I know people love it and everything. And um, I mean, it's not necessarily the book which highlights it for me, but just having that, you know, seven habits. So in many occasions uh, when approaching something, um, I ask myself the what. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, what, as an example, what are the seven habits of highly effective drivers? What could they be? What are the seven worst habits of, you know, um, dangerous drivers or whatever? So what that book has done is that it has helped me to ask that question. It has taught me to ask that, what are these six or seven or whatever habits? And this is my open challenge to anybody, you know, who um, may or may not have read the book. You know, spend some time, think, write down on a piece of paper what you think are the 10 um, habits of highly effective people. Go to the book, compare. You'll be surprised that you would have noted down four or five of them already. Or maybe so six. Exactly. And by the way, for the audience, we're going to put you know, all the suggestions from Sami in the show notes so you can have a look and maybe, you know, uh, find out more about these books so and maybe buy it on Amazon. Sami, that was amazing. Sami, um, where people should go if they want to be in contact with you? Um, well, they can look me up on LinkedIn, but um, that's only a small piece of what I do. And I would highly recommend people just to go to my organization's website, www.vttresearch.com. So that gives a perspective about the organization. But then at the top, we also have an element called services. 
So just pop that open and you'll be able to see um, a lot of the amazing, amazing work we're doing. You know, yeah. um, we are a Finnish organization and as many people know, Finns are very humble and silent. But um, <laughs> please do look at us. I mean, we do amazing stuff. Um, I like to call VTT the technology and innovation powerhouse of Finland. And um, a significant num percentage, let's say, of all Finnish innovations, um, they have their roots at VTT. Amazing. Sami, thank you so much. It has been a brilliant conversation. Thank you so much, Andrea. Pleasure as always. So thank you everyone for listening to this episode. I believe that Sami is a fantastic person. So please uh, make a contact with him, connect, uh, because he has really something to say in a world where many people, they don't have much to say. So I'm so happy or actually of having interviewed Sami. Uh, but anyway, if you have any comments or questions about this episode, I mean, we share so many interesting insights here. So feel free to reach out either on LinkedIn, you can find me there, or on email at andrea at andreapetrone.com. I'm very, very curious to hear what you think about this episode and maybe give me some suggestion or recommendation for the future episodes. Also, if you really want to support the show, I'll really appreciate whether you can write a review or leave a review in your favorite podcast directory, either it's on Apple, Spotify, or something else. I appreciate it. That's the way how we grow um, the show. And I look forward to see you again next Thursday. Have a great day.